campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there. This is So You Think That Was Good, Do You? A podcast where we take a look back at the films from your childhood and question the absurdity of their universes. My name is Evan, and I'm joined by Sam and Cowboys. How you doing? I'm doing good, mate. That was a very, uh, that was a very fluent intro compared to... I feel like you've improved. You've uh, The amount of runs that you would have take, needed to take at that well, usually we're last year. recording in the evening and I've had a drink. It is 11.30am, so uh, I'm pretty sober for this, other than what's left in my system from last night. Carl, you can't avoid it. Every week you try and not say how you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good, mate. How are you? Good. Yeah. Oh, 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 I don't know. I've never been asked. Now you know how it feels. <laughs> I'm good. I'm excited for this week's episode. Been uh, waiting a long time to do this one. Yeah, there's been a lot of lead up to this. Yeah, yeah. I, well, let's get straight into it. We watched Groundhog Day 1993. It was Groundhog Day last Friday on the 2nd. It is the 4th today. Usually I don't like to, to time the episode so much, but this one is nice and serendipitous. Well, as close as we could get with a Monday release. Starring Bill Murray and Annie McDowell. And if you're happy to, let's get into the plot synopsis. A cynical TV weatherman finds himself reliving the same day over and over again when he goes on location to the small town of Punxsutawney to film a report about their annual Groundhog Day. His predicament drives him to distraction until he sees a way of turning the situation to his advantage. Wow. Two full stops in all of that. (laughs) Yeah, those are some run-on sentences. Yeah, pretty vague. It's not really a synopsis so much as a kind of marketing line. (laughs) <laughs> tagline for the movie they need to shorten that up it needs to be one sentence that cynical tv weatherman bit though did you get real scrooged vibes when we started out because absolutely i just went straight in and as soon as i saw he was working in tv and just an absolute misery went oh god i am in for a long hour and 40 minutes of Scrooge again, aren't I? <laughs> it's very, very similar to Scrooge. I thought the same thing as soon as he was doing that weather report, his character in that is called Frank Cross, and it feels like he's playing the exact same character, but in this movie, he's just not as successful. I mean, he does come straight in and do a little bit of shouting on his weather report, and I did think, oh no, he's at the same guidance again. Just a bit more shouting, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Louder. Happier and with your mouth open. So we've mentioned this a couple times in recent episodes, Things like uh, Keanu Reeves and Nick Cage, where you're saying, like, they play the roles that they play quite well. But is it just them? Because Bill Murray, from what I can tell, just plays Bill Murray. He's this kind of, like, sardonic, cynical, witty guy. You've got loud. <laughs> well, he has to be told to do that. It's not, it doesn't come <laughs> oh, naturally. True. You forgot quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. He does seem to play the same sort of guy most times. And you do want, like... Is it typecasting? Because it's always so similar. It's always older, misanthropic man gets younger, far more attractive and nicer girl every time. All the yeah, way up well. to what Lost in Translation with Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Mm. How many times can they do that same through line for a Bill Murray character unless he just demands it in his contract? <laughs> It's probably that they know Bill Murray sells out theatres or sold out theatres, so they just want him to come in and do his thing. Why change it up but, if it's going to... But why does he? Why does that work every time? Why does, I can't tell you. Why, why did people go, oh, Bill Murray's miserable in another movie, is he? I will be there. <laughs> we as a generation always like to point out that the older generations seem fucking miserable and a bit mean. And the fact that they all just went, I'm going to go see Bill Murray in theatre because he really channels me. 
might mean we're on to something. He's the American hero, isn't he? <laughs> He's going to walk into everywhere and make everyone feel bad and then leave. Just like I would like to do. <laughs> I don't know if I've said this on the pod before, possibly, but I have some condition in my brain where I can't tell the difference between Bill Murray and Tom Hanks for some reason. <laughs> that is such a difference. <laughs> okay. No, I totally get it. Because when you said Lost in Translation, anytime anyone brings up Lost in Translation, what's in my head is the film The Terminal, which is when Same movie. Tom Hanks is stuck in an airplane terminal and he doesn't speak. I'm just imagining the most miserable toy story ever. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point of prolonging the inevitable? <laughs> yeah, there's not really a movie either of them have done. I, I don't think you could you couldn't switch them for. Put Bill Murray in Big, that's the, the same movie. I don't think Forrest Gump would be endearing if it was played by Bill Murray. Oh God, no, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> um, well, nobody would help him. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Murray has always looked 50 as well, so I don't think he'd really fit in during the college years bit of Forrest Gump too well. <laughs> Bringing it back to Groundhog Day. I said this when we were talking about this the other day, just talk, chatting about the film. He gets up in the kind of, all of the loops. They start at 6am when he set his alarm for, so that he can get up for the weather report, which is clearly a couple hours later. So he's giving himself plenty of time to get ready in the morning so that he can show up on TV looking like a dog's asshole. He looks so <laughs> fucked. Like he just splashes a bit of cold water on his face and then walks out the door. <laughs> Is it done on purpose to almost juxtapose the ending? Because they've definitely fake tanned him at the end and combed Yeah, he his looks hair. pretty good at the end. He looks a whole year younger. <laughs> Jesus, Bill, you look 55. <laughs> but it makes it even, even more odd when the women he's going after, Rita and, what's the other one called? Tracy. No, yeah, Nancy. Nancy. Are clearly so much younger than him. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's probably because it was a male-dominated writer's room and this is their fantasy, isn't it? Definitely. And they want the, the 50-year-old men who are going to the cinema to think, Oh, I could do yeah, that. Yeah, I can, I can pull a 30-year-old. Because the, the male like virtues in this are always being witty and heroic, and the female virtues are always tits. <laughs> All I have to do is change everything about who I am, and I too could get a 25-year-old girl. <laughs> well, I, I think it's the opposite mission. So I think it's, if I was really that bad, the universe would tell me. <laughs> it's the woman's fault. Oh, isn't it life-affirming? <laughs> While we're talking about the women in this and the kind of relationships, what is it? About halfway through the film, Phil, Bill Murray's character, starts going after this woman in the cafe that he meets, Nancy Taylor. And his method of flirting with her is gaining some info and then pretending to have gone to the same school. He says, yeah, I sat next to you in English class in 12th grade. You are 12 years older than this woman. In what fucking universe were you in the same class? I was the teaching assistant. <laughs> I taught your English class, don't you remember me? I was held back in that class for a decade. <laughs> Bill Murray is also hoping that Nancy thinks that he is Tom Hanks too. <laughs> Much younger man. And yeah, following on from that, obviously the crux of the film, the romance between him and Rita. I don't know, how did you two feel about about that. Well, first I want to talk about Rita because she's an odd character in that she half fawns over Bill Murray in this film, even before he's done any of the stuff to set up, you know, going out with her and tri essentially tricking her into liking him. 
there are moments where she seems to sort of find him endearing, but then immediately and simultaneously, like, is disgusted by him. Oh, yeah, yeah. She loves him until he does a toast to anything other than world peace. Oh, I can't wait to get to that. That is so weird. <laughs> she's, she's who she needs to be for what part of the movie we're in. Middle of the movie, it's, yeah. I'm just not that easy. You're going to have to get to know me. And end of the movie, it's, you can play the keyboard. Have me now. Yeah, here's all the money I have. Yeah, she is She is an odd character. And I don't know if it's getting ahead of ourselves, but I think the way that their relationship develops is really weird. Like, he's he also equally fawns over her, but it's not really clear why, because they have absolutely nothing in common. And his way of trying to pull her is psychopathically gathering information and then feeding it back to her. Yeah, which he practices on Nancy. This highlights something I'm confused about in this movie. It's whether or not Bill Murray thinks that Rita is like the exit, if he knows that forming a bond with her is his way out. Because the first half of the movie is him trying to trick her into having sex with him. And like that's a massive, like it's a huge portion of his days as we move on. Like he does a bunch of fun stuff and then he spends, I think, considerable years (laughs) trying to sleep with her as if that will end the cycle. And then he gives up for a little bit and he goes around town being a little bit nicer to people. And then at the end, those two things culminate into one where he's nicer to everyone and she's falling in love with him and that's how he gets out i don't think he sees her as the way out i think he's just probably fucked most of the town (laughs) by this point that genuinely and she's just the one that he can't figure out the cheat code to and then he just starts becoming more and more obsessed with figuring it out i think this is one of the few parts of that this development of their relationship that i quite enjoyed though in that because it's so disingenuous at first it starts out with him just gathering all this information and being this perfect guy for her but it's all fake and because of that because it's all an act it becomes just more and more ridiculous and he just gets more and more desperate as it builds because he just cannot get her into bed no matter what he does because he's not really that person and i think she can see that whereas later on where he actually has changed for real he's a bit more authentic yeah yeah i would argue he's still i mean he's still kind of gaming her a little bit but he's definitely more authentic at the end yeah he he starts out just making a mistake each time and then just be like oh i'll fix that tomorrow i'll quickly kill myself (laughs) (laughs) yeah a big portion of the movie like half an hour is him fucking save scumming to make the right dialogue choice with (laughs) rita just to like get a tiny step further down the line and there's the sequence where she slaps him over and over and over again because he's fucking it up here and there yeah the lead into that so the thing that kind of kicks that off one of the first loops where he's trying to get with rita where he gets her into the bedroom he does well yeah trying to get away and he won't let Ooh, that got really down the path of this guy's not a protagonist anymore. He's a bit of a... Well, I see, I don't think he man. was a protagonist at the start. Isn't it? I mean, he's obviously not an anti, but he, he sort of grows into being the protagonist as the movie goes because no one is rooting for him at the start. No. He is purposefully unlikable. And it's no, only where he finally... He's not a rapist, He though. finally gives up on this whole Rita thing and just kind of focuses on fixing himself to some degree, sees his own flaws where you start to hope that he'll get out of it because I had no care for him in the start. He isn't relatable in the slightest. And it's only as you see him being broken down by it and then slowly building himself back up and going, well, what about me? What do I want from this if I am stuck here? 
And I think that's kind of a, not to get too into it, but kind of a hindrance on the film in the beginning. Because when those days first start repeating and he's still really unlikable, it's not that funny. Like when he goes on that bender with the two Navy guys and then like crashes the car through the street, I don't really laugh at that because he's not really a funny character, even though the things he's doing are meant to be funny. It's not until later when he starts being nicer, but you can enjoy the things he's doing a bit more. This is what I'm saying about people back in the day, that they must have watched this and gone, yeah, that's what I'd do. Because I did find myself watching that start where he's like, oh, there are no consequences for my actions. What will I do? Oh, I'll just be the biggest cunt in the world then. Because I don't feel like that's what normal people would do. Where he's, I think he says to himself, I don't have to follow their rules. Whose rules? What rules were you only following because there were consequences? There's a lot of bad things we can do, but we don't want to do. And we wouldn't do just because there wouldn't be consequences for it, I hope. But at least the writers knew where the line was and we didn't get the staple sexual assault and Rita was allowed to leave that room because I was also concerned it was going another way. I'm glad it at least stopped there. I mean, since we're talking about the loops, I think the plot synop didn't really detail kind of the way that the story develops. So to briefly cover it, you've got the first loop where, you know, that's just that's just his day. Mm. It, it's, it's an average day, except for some reason he goes to sleep at 4am. So that's once the day the loop has started, he goes to sleep at 4am. That's him trying to stay up past 6am when he knows the day resets to see if that breaks him out of it. So that's technically the first loop. So that's, that's the first loop. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Then we get second loop, where he's kind of realising third loop. He thinks he's going insane. He visits the uh, hospital, visits a psychiatrist. I love that. Yeah, I mean, great scene where, oh, what's the line? Why don't you come back tomorrow? Yeah. Or what if there is, is so no funny. tomorrow? There wasn't one today. So good. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah. There's a lot of fun stuff in those first repeats. Sorry to interrupt you here, Sam, but I, I love the B&B owner asking him whether or not he's going to check out. And on the first day, he'd said 100% chance he's leaving. But once the day starts repeating, he's like, 80 to 75 percent chance yeah yeah it's yeah. <laughs> really so good. good he's starting to lose his mind so it's the it's the third loop where he kind of gets into this i don't know what really to call it the where he realizes there's no, no consequences it's like the hedonism arc of i'm gonna fuck around i'm gonna drive the car around i'm gonna try and fuck nancy taylor all this stuff where he goes off the rails and then i'd say at that point it starts to get a bit fuzzy after this, how many loops there have been. Yes. You get sort of up to about the fifth, it's clear. And after that, you're like, things are happening. We're not we're not hearing that alarm clock anymore, but things are looping. So question for you boys, how many loops do you think there actually were? Rough ballpark average. I was going to say, I know from reading a bit about this movie that I think there's somewhere in the range of... 12,000. I think it's he's meant to have been stuck there for like 30 years. There are Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see about, what, like 9 or 10 maybe? But the numbers that you can infer are crazy. Yeah, so the first couple of loops we see are like the sequential days of him falling into badness and realising what's going on. But then there's a huge jump where a long time has taken place and every next loop that we see is even further down that line. And I think the only place in the movie that even references it is where him and Rita have that heart-to-heart when he tells her he's in the loop. She believes him because he goes around the cafe talking about how he knows everything about everyone even though supposedly only comes here once a year. And they're throwing cards into that hat and he says it'll take you six months, ten hours a day doing this to become an expert like me. Mm -hmm. Which is the only thing that references how long he's been in that loop. So at least six months. But to be fair, throwing cards isn't the first thing you'd learn to be good at. So No, no he's, there's also the ice sculptures. And there's the, yeah. I mean, by the end of the film, he's like concert, he's a jazz pianist, <laughs> which 
is not something that takes six months. In the original script, he read a page of a book every day, and that's how he knew how long he had been stuck in the loop for. Oh, that's quite good. So by the end, he just, yeah, set all these books aside and had this huge pile of books, and that's how you as the audience could see he'd been stuck for a long time. I have two things to say. Firstly, in my infinite stupidness, I was going to say, just write a number on the wall. (laughs) And secondly, whenever I read, I always tell myself, I don't need a bookmark. I'll remember what page I'm on. Never, (laughs) ever have I remembered the page the next day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You wake up the next day and look look over and you're like, I've never seen this book before in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Arrogant? That's just dragon. (laughs) I've never read this word. <laughs> Scratches one off the wall. <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't imagine Evan just writing one on a wall and just waking up the next day and looking at that wall and going, "Ah, fuck." <laughs> <laughs> that now clear wall. <laughs> Writing one again. <laughs> yeah, just write one at the end of the next day. Right. So I just have to remember how many times I've written one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned the the cafe scene. He's walking around the cafe and he's, you know, he's referring to himself at this point as a god because he's got this godlike knowledge of everyone in there. He then sits down with Rita and she says, well, what do you know about me? And you get this, I'm going to call it like, it's a bit of a when Harry met Sally kind of speech that he gives to her about all the things he loves about her, where he says, you like boats, but not the ocean. Uh, t- two things. First of all, that's meant to come across as very romantic, but mostly it's just evidence of how much of a psychopath he is. <laughs> Secondly, who the fuck doesn't like the ocean? Well, uh, I, I, I don't. Who it's actively dislikes the ocean? I, um, I, well, I'd, I'd like I'd, to look at it, yeah. but I don't want to be on it. Agreed. <laughs> and also, I think it was evidence of how fucking stupid I am that when he said you like boats, but not the ocean, my brain didn't go rivers and lakes. I was like, what's it just a boat sat on land then? She just (laughs) sat on a boat on land. I went to sitting in a bathtub with a toy boat. God, I fucking love boats. We saw her playing in a bath with a toy boat and went, I'm going to take 30 years of perfecting myself to win this woman. She is perfect. (laughs) Well, we're still on the cafe scene. I want to go back to something you were saying, Cole, because I don't want to let it pass by, where Phil has obviously fucked everyone in the town. And this scene is evidence of that because we know the only reason he learns things about people is so he can fuck them. That's what that whole thing with Nancy Taylor is. Oh, yeah. And he goes through every type of person there is in that cafe from the older looking waitress to the Navy boys, the people who are getting married. He's fucked them all. I mean, he goes up to the fiance and says, they're getting married, but she's having second thoughts. Oh, how do you know she's having second thoughts, mate? Louder. (laughs) Then he goes to the waiter and ends his little spiel with, and he's gay. (laughs) Okay, we're getting some insight into what's happened in these. (laughs) Plowden! There is a bit we sort of touched on but didn't dig into, which is the number of times he kills himself. Because we we witness one where he drives into the quarry. He steals the, yeah. he steals the groundhog, drives into a quarry, and then he tells us later on when he's talking to Rita that he's been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted and burned, and he cannot die. But when he goes off into that quarry and the truck blows up and then when he electrocutes himself in the bath we see the reactions of the other people 
So is he just spouting separate timelines each time he dies then? Because that timeline carries on. We see that well that hotel owner. Yeah. We see the cameraman and Rita looking over the quarry. And then we see them later on looking at his dead body in the morgue. So is life just carrying yeah, on without Yeah, that's a really him? interesting point that... The timelines do continue. Yeah, the day at least goes on. Hard to know what to make of that, but there's some kind of branching timelines coming off this because when he dies, at least, I guess, I guess each he's also waking up the next day in each of those timelines where he doesn't die. But so he's awoken as they're looking over into the quarry. So I doubt he's just on pause for oh. however long. <laughs> that annoys me because that means the day doesn't start when the day ends and they're all out of order now. Days are just starting and ending all over the place. (laughs) When am I supposed to write one on the wall? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is what I call the depression arc. This is where it gets pretty, I mean, it gets pretty dark. They're still vaguely doing sort of funny ways of killing himself, but he is killing himself. Yes, we see him take a toaster to the bath, jump off the bell tower, and then the other one is driving into the, what is that, a quarry? Quarry. Yeah, yeah, nice. Your dad was probably there fishing rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does that to try and break the loop. That's what I think anyways. That that's why he takes the groundhog. Like he's just desperately clinging to anything that might be causing this. And of course, why wouldn't it be the groundhog? It's why he's here. I'm sure you both noticed that our character and the groundhog are both called Phil. Yes. And uh, well, people point it out to him, don't they? notice that as well. Yes, yeah. But don't you feel that he, as a writer of the movie, you could have chosen any other name? Even choosing Bill would have been less confusing. But then they'd have had to remove the line, that's the same name as the groundhog. Sure. Uh, and the reason I say that, that about Phil, our main character, other than the groundhog, is that the, the actual groundhog, whether or not it's the same one that's been going... Is called it, it is they always call the actual it's real not the groundhog. same groundhog that's been going. <laughs> Are they not immortal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I start thinking, this is my English high school level analysis of this movie, is that they're making a very on-the-nose connection between our main character, Human Phil, and the Groundhog Phil, in that... Okay, so bear with me here. <laughs> so I, actually, let's explain what the Groundhog does first, for, for people who don't know. The Groundhog comes out of his little fucking hut, and if he sees his shadow, there will be more winter, spring will come later. If he doesn't see his shadow, spring will come sooner, less winter. So, Phil, every day he wakes up and he sees his shadow. That's his darker qualities. That's him being a bad dude. That's him being a bad person. And the day repeats. And on that specific day, the blizzard hits. That's our extended winter. Finally, when he wakes up, that's him coming out, the little groundhog, and he doesn't see his shadow. No bad qualities. He's a good guy. Spring arrives early. I don't think I'm stretching to do that. I, th- I think that's why they call both the characters Phil. That's what I'm trying to say. I agree. That's the metaphor that the film's trying to go for. But I think it's also fair to say they didn't need to call him Phil for that. The film's already <laughs> called Groundhog Day. Eventually what I wanted to get to, yes. <laughs> Just because all that is true, they both don't need to be called Phil. It feels like their fates are linked, but they've got different names. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be that. I think, he, yeah, he's meant to have decided something similar in that his fate and the Groundhogs are intertwined, and that's why he's decided if he heals himself and the groundhog, the loop will break. Which doesn't work, obviously. No, he starts killing himself probably about halfway through, because then we get into like the him doing good acts phase of the... So yeah, I called that one the depression arc, and the next one the redemption arc, which is when he starts deciding to do good stuff. And I've re- the thing I really loved about this, well, one of the things I loved about this, is he starts off by helping the homeless guy that he is 
been ignoring this whole time. He gives him some money, he gives him food, and then when the guy starts having chest trouble, he takes him to the hospital. The nurse comes out. He says, oh, how's he doing? And she goes, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) And this nurse is so hilariously shit that she's just like, he was old, he's dead, fuck off. Sometimes people just die. Go home. Sometimes people just die. I would love, so he doesn't get to see, he barges in, but he can't find the chart. I'd love to see what was written on that chart. It's just big black marker, old. (laughs) Died. He died of old. (laughs) Yeah, something, well, another link to Scrooge here is that we have a very similar scene in that where there's an old man, he's homeless. Uh, Maybe he's not old, but there's a homeless man in that. And we, we make fun of the fact that Bill Murray's character never really saves him. Like, that's the trigger for him to become a better person. But that guy still dies, and there's no way of going back and saving him. And it feels, because this film came after Scrooge, it feels like this was almost written as a response to that, maybe to redeem Bill Murray, because he people think he plays the same guy in everything. Did this not come first? Nah, Scrooge was a few years old. 88 yeah, Scrooge was, and this was 93. Oh, does he look so much older in Scrooge? <laughs> Well, you only think that because they make him look a year younger by the end of this. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, weird note about this. So yeah, during his redemption arc, he's learned to ice sculpt and he's taken piano lessons and he's let an old man die. (laughs) He has let a kid break his back numerous times while he learns fur release. Well, he (laughs) learns the timing. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, there's a massive party going on. Where was this party for the rest of the film? He's been there for decades. We never get reference to the fact that there's a massive party and every single person in the town is there. I think a dinner is referenced in the first day of the movie before the loops have begun. Rita and Larry ask him if he, they want to join them for the, the Groundhog Day dinner, but that does not describe what this event is, which is people dancing and listening to jazz. Yeah, and a, an auction, a human auction. A human auction, yes. <laughs> well, on that, because he spends his last day just sorting everyone else's problems, just from doing his news broadcast up until this party. He does his news broadcast and Rita asks him if he wants a coffee. And he's like, no, I've got shit to do. And then just goes and saves the entire town and then comes back to the party where Rita is. That means that for her, even though we've seen them interact for hundreds of hours, their entire like exposure to each other is two to three hours. And at some point during this day, he will say, I love you. And she's fine with that because he plays the keyboard now. And this is the first time that they've worked together as well. They mentioned that at the start of the film. This is the first time they're working together. They don't have a pre-established relationship. They met today. Yeah. This is day one. And he starts the next morning by saying that they should live together. One thing I found really funny is that when Rita comes and sees him playing his jazz piano, the piano teacher (laughs) is also watching. And she turns to Rita and says, he's my student. No, he's not. You met him today. And he was better than and you. And he came in for maximum one lesson. <laughs> yeah, she's taken a lot of credit for a guy who could already play the piano when they met. <laughs> he was already probably better than her. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just for her, as part of his good deeds, he starts out really bad every single time and just lets her give him one piece of advice and then goes, oh, I get, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that happens here... It's almost similar to Freaky Friday, where we complained that too much happens in one day because they had to call it Freaky Friday. This is called Groundhog Day, so obviously the loop has to be one day, which means that the 
young couple has to go to the the Groundhog Day thing at the start, has to go to the cafe so that they can meet him, has to get married in the afternoon, and then go to a party in the evening so that they can all get reacquainted. That's too much for one day. It is, and I think I would be trapped in this loop for far longer than Bill Murray, because if there's more than five things I have to do in a day, I ain't doing three of them. (laughs) Not a chance. I'll do that tomorrow. One, check. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like we said, there's the human auction. He gets auctioned off and Rita, having spent all of 20 minutes with him today, decides to buy him for all of her money. And then they go outside and he decides to do a snow sculpture of her face, which, good sculpture, nice gesture. Would you not feel weird leaving that there? A perfect (laughs) representation of your own face just left in the middle of the park. (laughs) That's all right, they're going to move there tomorrow. Another thing, though, where she should have been like, yeah, this is a bit much. We've known each other three hours and you can sculpt my face and you're saying you love me. I don't care if you can Mm -hmm. play jazz piano. Maybe we should take it slow. So this ends here now with him getting out of the loop. And I think we're supposed to assume that it's this combination of doing all these good things, but also with the side thing of Rita for like being a good enough man for Rita, who's supposed to be this perfect woman. That's what gets him out. But there's no difference in the day he spent... Wait, he spends even less time with her in this final day than he did on the day where he almost banged her. Yeah. Yeah. It should never have been about her or them. Him doing all the good deeds and just being a good person for the sake of being a good person should have been enough to catch her eye. And maybe the end of the movie is some sort of hint that more might come as a result of that. But them falling in love and deciding they're going to live together forever and they're going to have kids and... They love each other because they've known each other for two hours is completely unnecessary and just removes any sort of... Oh, it was too much. Yeah, it, she as a person is interesting because there's too much to her for him to figure out in a day. That's what we're told at the start. So keep that going. I completely agree. It should have ended with the next day. He, you know, he's acting differently. He's accepting her offers of coffee or dinner or whatever and not they're already fucking married yeah and i think rita being someone who has all these interesting things about her deducts from her character specifically you mentioned this earlier sam where she says i only drink to world peace it's supposed to just be an obstacle for that specific day for Bill Murray. But it is an insane what thing an to insane say. insane thing to say. There's no one I would rather drink with less than somebody who toasts to world peace every time. If you toast before we drink, it's already weird. To world yeah. peace. She's fully on board with everything. With, like, she's, she's into him at that point as well. It's not even like she's looking for reasons to dislike him. Yeah. She's into him. She asks him, what do you want to toast to? And then gets pissy. (laughs) I would like to toast to boats, but not to oceans. (laughs) It does sound like an alcoholic's excuse to drink. I'm I'm drinking because I want to drink to world peace. We always need more world peace. Has he got world peace yet? No? Let's get some more. Looks like I'm drinking again. (laughs) Do you want to take us into bad reviews, Samuel? Yeah, go on then. I've got a a few bad reviews. So the first one... uh, First one is five stars from Tylet Lantern uh, in November 2020. He says, "If I was forced to rewatch the same movie every day for the rest of my life, I would go with this one." Oh, which leads me into a question, boys: Which film out of those that we've watched for the pod would you watch every day for the rest of your life? What's the shortest film we've done? <laughs> I'll give you some time to think. I'll say what mine is. I reckon I'll go with Hook. 
Firstly, because it's just a great film and I really enjoyed it. Secondly, because I want to watch Rufio die every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> I think there's two. One I think most people would agree with, and one which is a personal choice. I'll go with most agreeable first. The Mummy, I think, is just 10 oh, out of 10, a perfect choice. movie. I don't think you'd be too unhappy watching that every day forever. And the other one, Scooby-Doo. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> I could watch that every day anyway. Good choices. <laughs> I choices. think... I'd probably go for the borrowers. Ooh, I'm convinced. Interesting. I'm convinced that there's more to that theory I was building, and I will sit there for eternity. <laughs> you could <can laughs> really the perfect dig into pod that episode <laughs> that no one will know yeah. about because the day will reset. Is the day resetting, or am I just being an idiot? No, we're just watching a movie again and again. Oh no, no, no! This is just every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> I've just added an extra element that was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm stuck in a time loop, and I've decided I'll just watch a film and the same film every day. Oh, good answers. Yeah, very nice. Um, so next review, five stars from Tyler Lantern, November 2021. What? That's the same day. Day 365 out of 365. <laughs> I did it. I actually watched Groundhog Day every day for an entire year. I feel awesome. <laughs> What an arc. Absolute <laughs> legend. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, okay, so last one. Five stars. Tyler Lanson, November 2022. Day 730 out of <gasps> 700. <laughs> day 730 out of 730. I did it. I actually watched Groundhog Day every day for two years. I feel awesome. <laughs> All right, when does he stop? Get him on the pod. Yeah. Uh, I think it was just the two years. Just the two? <laughs> that is amazing. What a guy. Oh, oh. My hero. Oh, beautiful. Well, uh, that leads us into the question then, boys. And nobody picked this. We've just been waiting to do it. And since you're in the middle, Sam, will choose you first. Sam, so oh. you think that was good, do you? <laughs> um, I wanted to say that I thought this was good. It's got a lot of good elements. And obviously the, the, the concept was quite new at the time, so it's got that kind of pioneering aspect to it. But I don't know, like, he's, I, I didn't see that much character development. I know he caught a kid out of a tree and played some piano, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like I was still seeing some shadows by the end. <laughs> and then all the stuff with his relationship with Rita just felt really kind of um, mm. superficial. So like, I like the idea, but I think other films, granted derivative films, but I think other films kind of did it better. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to give that a, a maybe. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, cool. I'm going to give a hard disagree to Sam. I really enjoyed this. And weirdly, I really enjoyed it for the character development. In that you <laughs> see his change go from being disingenuous to a genuine change. But I did find that, I mean, the whole lesson of this movie to us is, I guess, seizing the day, appreciating every day, living life to the fullest. And all I could think at the end is, all this would give me is really severe PTSD, where I'd just be living every day, panicking that I would do something wrong, and then I would wake up living that day again, so I would do nothing in case I did the wrong thing. Just yeah. rocking in a room somewhere. <laughs> I assume that was a few thousand of the days that we didn't see he was doing that. <laughs> also, just to caveat my uh, my review, it's possible that part of my feeling that this character didn't develop is just because it's Bill Murray and even the times that he was trying to be genuine and saying like, gee, you're an upbeat lady. It just feels like he's taking the piss out of everything all the time. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I see both your points there. I, I, th I feel like a lot of the character development at the end took place off screen. Like mm. it, it was a big jump from 
him killing himself to becoming the most helpful guy in town. I'm not saying I wanted to see that, really. I also agree that I think it's Bill Murray holding it back. I enjoyed the film, <laughs> but I, I think Hanks. the reason I like those other films more uh, that do a similar thing is because they have more fun main characters. Like, I love Palm Springs with Andy Samberg, and I can't remember her name, but she's the granddaughter of Charlie Chaplin. That's just, they're just more fun in that movie, a bit more easygoing, so it's a lot easier to watch, and the jokes come off a lot sooner. But... I enjoyed this movie. <laughs> there were a lot of theories about this movie that I don't think we really dove into. Because there's that famous one that's around on Reddit about um, Ned, who's the guy he meets in the street, is like potentially uh, yeah, the devil that. or something. And I thought oh, that yeah. was an absolute nonsense. And then, But his name's <laughs> Ned Ryerson. And it never says how you spell his last name. And if you spell it with an I rather than a Y, like you would think, I noticed it that it's an anagram of Redo Sinner. <laughs> I just wish we'd had more time to dive into some of those theories because maybe there's something to it now. Yeah, that would have been great. Oh, and mate. played by the terrific Stephen Toblowski, who I He was so good. We, yeah, we didn't mention Ned, but my God, he was fantastic. Well, sorry, boys. Well, <laughs> maybe in another <laughs> that life. wraps us up. Join us again next week where we will be continuing on from the theme we set with this one, which is redoing some of the movies we've done in the past. So we're going to be looking at sequels, which are, you're not going to be able to tell they're a different movie. So we're starting with <laughs> Stu a Little 2, which is just the same thing again. Rat Boy lives with human people. Uh, so join us again for that. Please do leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening and uh, follow us over on Twitter and Instagram. And so you think part until next time, boys. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you next week.